the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Plant City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now that Paul has explained that the way to keep the flesh from doing these evil deeds is by walking in the spirit with the result being that not only will we not gratify the lusts of the flesh, but we will bear the fruit of the spirit. Paul's ready to move on. He's ready to move on and tell us about a second key truth concerning sanctification, which is in addition to walking in the spirit, we must crucify the flesh. The words sanctification and crucify the flesh are difficult words for some folks to accept and understand. In today's class of Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Preloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, will explain these words. This class is the first part of a three-part message by Steve on the conflicts between the flesh and the spirit. Our study is taken from Galatians chapter 5, and verses 24 to 26, and is titled, We Must Crucify the Flesh Daily. At the end of our study, I will tell you how you can listen to this class again, and how you can order a CD with all three parts of the message. Have your Bible open to Galatians chapter 5, and be ready to take notes on this very important discussion. Here is Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read to you the passage, the entire passage that we've been studying for the last several weeks. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This morning as we continue our study of these verses from Galatians, I want to begin by reading to you a brief passage from a book I was recently scanning. Here's what the author of this book wrote. When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. But sin is always active 
when it seems to be most quiet, and its waters are often deep when they are calm. We should therefore fight against it and be vigorous at all times and in all conditions, even when there is the least suspicion. Sin is always acting, always conceiving, and always seducing and tempting. Who can say that he has ever had anything to do with God or for God, which indwelling sin has not tried to corrupt? This battle will last more or less all of our days. He that stands still and allows his enemies to exert double blows upon him without resistance will undoubtedly be conquered in the end. If sin is subtle, watchful, strong, and always at work in the business of killing our souls, and we are slothful, negligent, and foolish in this battle, can we expect favorable outcome? There is not a day but sin foils or is foiled prevails or is prevailed upon. It will always be so while we live in this world. Sin will not spare for one day. There is no safety, but in a constant warfare for those who desire deliverance from sin's perplexing rebellion. These words come from a book entitled Mortification of Sin. They were written in the year 1656 by John Owen, who was a Puritan church leader. But although these words in this book were written over 350 years ago, these words are as contemporary sounding as anything written today. And the reason for that, that these words are so current and sound so up-to-date and and so contemporary is because this warfare with our flesh has been and continues to be the experience of every true believer in Christ. It was true in the days of John Owen. It was, it's true in our days, and it was certainly true in the experience of believers in the first century. It's rather evident by what Paul has written the Galatians here in chapter 5 of his letter. From what we read here, it is apparent that the Galatians were not only engaged in this fierce struggle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit, but it's clear that many of them were losing the battle. Losing the battle by giving in to their fleshly desires and sinning. That's rather clear when you look, for example, at verse 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The only reason Paul wrote that is because that's what exactly they were doing. Then back in verse 15, he speaks about them biting and devouring one another like savage animals going at it. And no doubt a number of the Galatians were guilty of some, if not all, of the very deeds of the flesh that Paul mentions here in verses 19 through 21. So Paul wrote this section, folks, to the Galatians towards the end of his letter in order to give them some very direct and practical instruction on how to overcome their their sinful inclinations. But it's deeper than that, much deeper than that. You see, Paul's purpose in addressing the Galatians on the subject of personal holiness was part of his overall objective and purpose in in writing this letter in the first place. As you'll recall, the Galatians were Christians who initially had been very responsive to the message of salvation by faith in Christ. Paul had visited them on his very first missionary journey. He proclaimed Christ to them. They embraced Christ. They began to, to grow, and they were very positive about the message of salvation. There were Gentiles, there were pagans who had never heard of the Jewish Messiah. But sometime after that, some Jewish men came down from Jerusalem and visited them. These men were from the church at Jerusalem. However, they did not come 
as representatives of the 12 apostles. They were not authorized by the church. The 12 apostles did not send them, did not agree with their message. But these men started teaching the Gentile Galatians that if they really wanted to be saved, they needed to be circumcised and become like devout Jews by adhering to all the Old Testament laws. These men who are commonly known as Judaizers because they said that essentially you have to become Jewish first to become a Christian. These men told them that justification before God was not by faith alone in Christ, but it came about by, yes, believing in Jesus plus keeping the Mosaic law. Well, obviously this left the Galatians confused. Who were they to believe? Paul, who claimed to be an apostle, but these men who are from the mother church in Jerusalem. And in their confusion, some of the Galatians started moving away and abandoning the gospel of grace for a message of salvation by by works and human effort. So Paul's entire letter is really an attempt to persuade the Galatians to come back to the truth of the gospel, come back to grace. And he argues that he, and he alone of all these people, these Judaizers, he alone, is a true apostle, and therefore he's the one with the correct message because Jesus Christ personally gave him this message. It was revealed to him. That's the message of the gospel. And so looking back at this letter, now that we're in chapter 5, we see that Paul has spent the brunt of his time defending himself and his message of grace by explaining the biblical and theological basis for the doctrine of justification by faith. But now that the letter is drawing to a close, Paul turns his attention to the very practical side of justification, which is how are those saved by grace supposed to live? How are we supposed to behave? In other words, he explains how justification is related to sanctification, holiness, spiritual growth. That's that's all comes under the category of, of sanctification. And in doing so, Paul not only gives the Galatians important information about how to live in victory over their sinful desires, but for the very first time in this letter, he is addressing one of the arguments of the Judaizers against the doctrine of justification by faith. See, they argued, as many do today, they may have a little bit different twist on it, but those who are opponents of grace argued along the similar lines. They argued that if you remove the necessity of keeping the law as the way of salvation, then you are removing the restraints that people have from unleashing their sinful passions. That is to say, they said that it was the law that enabled people to hold their sinful tendencies in check. And therefore, the message of salvation by grace would function as a green light to just go ahead and engage in all kinds of sinful conduct since they no longer were bound by the moral restraints of the law. That was their argument. You need legalism. You need rules. You you need regulations to hold the flesh in check. Otherwise, people are just going to go wild. These Galatians will fall back into, into gross paganism. But Paul countered this objection to grace here in this last section of his letter by informing the Galatians, that it isn't the law that restrains sin at all. Never the law. Legalism can never do that. Rules cannot hold the flesh in check. It isn't the law that restrains sin. It's the Holy Spirit 
who lives within each true believer who enables us to overcome the desires of the flesh. That's his point. And so this closing section of chapter 5, which moves into chapter 6, it serves a twofold purpose. Number one, it is Paul's argument against the erroneous thinking propagated by the Judaizers and embraced by some of the Galatians that laws and rules can effectively regulate sinful flesh. Paul says they can't, and he explains that in this section. Secondly, though, this section also serves as Paul's inspired explanation as to how believers can have victory over the constant pull of their flesh to do evil. He teaches how they can overcome their sinful desires and live holy lives that honor and please the Lord. So this passage is obviously so critical for us. It's so important for us, so relevant for us, because we battle every day with our sinful tendencies. And we've seen how important it is, and that's why we've been working through this passage rather slowly, taking our time going through this, not wanting to miss anything. And we're focusing these last few weeks on the key responsibilities that Paul says God has given us in order to win the battle for sanctification. There are three key responsibilities that come out of this passage. If you receive them and apply them, these God-given responsibilities, then you will, as Paul puts it in verse 16, not carry out the desire of the flesh. However, if you ignore them and you don't take these responsibilities to heart, number one, you have wasted a God-given opportunity that he has given us as a church body to study this. You have wasted that But secondly, you are going to be miserable if you know Christ and you don't embrace these truths. You are going to be constantly frustrated because you will experience ongoing defeat and setbacks in your Christian life. Don't waste this opportunity. We've been examining just the first of these key responsibilities that God has given us in overcoming our fleshly desires. This morning, though, we want to make some progress by quickly reviewing what we've seen so far, and then we want to move on to discover the second and third of our God-given responsibilities in this battle for sanctification. And so, as we've already discovered, the first key truth that Paul gives concerning sanctification is this. He tells us that we must, number one, walk by the Spirit. Verse 16 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, in this one verse, Paul very clearly and very directly and very bluntly says that the only way you can keep yourself from gratifying your fleshly desires and prevent them from coming to fruition as sinful deeds is by walking in or by the Spirit. And by walking in the Spirit, as we've said a number of times, and I just reiterate this, he simply means filling your mind with the Spirit's thoughts. This is not mystical. This is not mysterious. This is not so deep that you have to go to seminary to figure it out. He simply means fill your mind with the Spirit's thoughts, namely biblical truth with a heart that's ready to obey those truths. If you will feed your mind with the truths of the Spirit and discipline your mind to stay focused on those truths throughout the day, then Paul says you will inevitably starve the sinful desires of the flesh, because you're not feeding those desires. You're feeding the thoughts of the Spirit. Now, in the verses that follow, which we've already looked at, 
Paul speaks about the intensity of this battle for sanctification by explaining the internal struggle that's going on inside of every true believer. He tells us we have two warring factions and factors fighting it out within us. We have the indwelling spirit who opposes the evil deeds that our flesh wants to do. And we have our flesh opposing the fruit of godly attitudes that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. It's what he says in verse 17. And as if to prove his point, Paul speaks of, and he contrasts these two opposing factors by mentioning in verses 19 through 21, some, not all, but some of the evil deeds of the flesh. And then in verses 22 and 23, he mentioned some, not all, of the righteous fruit, those attitudes that come and are produced by the Holy Spirit. But now that Paul has explained that the way to keep the flesh from doing these evil deeds is by walking in the Spirit, with the result being that not only will we not gratify the lusts of the flesh, but we will bear the fruit of the Spirit, Paul's ready to move on. He's ready to move on and tell us about a second key truth concerning sanctification, which is, in addition to walking in the Spirit, we must crucify the flesh. Notice verse 24. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul states that those who belong to Christ, meaning all those who are saved, all those who have placed their trust in Jesus alone for their salvation, every true Christian, he says, have crucified, we've crucified the flesh. And what does he mean by this? And specifically, what does it mean to crucify the flesh? And when did this happen to us? Paul says in verse 24, it already happened. We've done it. When, when did this take place? First of all, we need to understand that in using the term crucify, Paul's referring to the way by which someone in his day was executed by the Roman authorities. They were crucified. In Roman times, the most disgraceful criminals, not all, but the most shameful, disgraceful criminals were put to death by crucifixion. That's why it was such a horrible way for Jesus, the sinless Son of God, to die. So to crucify the flesh means to kill it, to execute it, to put it to death. In the wonderful words of the King James Version, to mortify it. It's a great word. Mortify the flesh. Kill it. But notice, notice that Paul says that all who are Christians have already crucified the flesh. See, the verb here is in the past tense, meaning that this event of our crucifixion already taken place, already taken place. How can this be? Because if we have already crucified the flesh, then why are all those fleshly desires still so active in us? In other words, if our flesh is already dead, then why is there a war going on inside of us constantly? that war in which the desires of the flesh still want to be gratified, and they're fighting for supremacy over the desires of the Spirit of God. Listen very closely. The Bible teaches that at our conversion, our old self was crucified because at conversion, we became united with Jesus Christ. And since he was crucified, we are considered crucified too. Paul very plainly says this in two places in particular, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, when he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away, 
done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. He also said essentially the same thing about crucifixion in right here in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So at salvation, we died by way of crucifixion so that our old, unregenerate sin nature with all of those fleshly desires was executed. Executed. And we became new creatures in Christ with a brand new divine nature. However, when Paul uses the analogy of crucifixion, he can't possibly mean that when we became believers, there was a total death to our fleshly desires. He can't possibly mean that. Because those desires, as you very well know, are very much alive and they're kicking in all of us. If Paul meant total death so that we no longer are inclined to sin anymore, he would be contradicting everything that he's just writing here. In fact, he'd be contradicting everything in the, in the New Testament. In fact, let me take it a step further. There would be no need to teach anything about sanctification in the New Testament, if that were the case. If this death was in an absolute sense so that we have no, law, no more sinful desires. No, what Paul means by our crucifixion is that the power of our old sinful selves and nature was broken when we were saved so that sin no longer dominates us as it once did. Sin no longer reigns supreme over us as it once did so that we were, we were enslaved to sin. We had to sin. We had no choice in the matter. But listen, though we are not dominated or enslaved to sin anymore as, as people who have been set free, believers in Christ, we still have ongoing struggles with our fleshly desires because we continue to be fallen creatures awaiting absolute perfection when we come into the presence of our Lord. I like the way John MacArthur explains this situation. He writes this, the flesh with its passions and desires is dead in the sense of no longer reigning over us or holding us in inescapable bondage. Like a chicken with its head cut off, the flesh has been dealt a death blow, although it continues to flop around the barnyard of earth until the last nerve is stilled. Listen, what the New Testament teaches is that once we become Christians, we are no longer in bondage to sin. We've been set free from having to obey our fleshly affections. We have a new nature. That new nature has new godly desires, and we have the indwelling spirit who enables us to obey those godly desires. But though sin no longer reigns over us, we are still tempted to sin. Because in the words of MacArthur, we still have those fleshly passions and desires flopping around like a chicken with its head cut off. And because they are still flopping around, We have to make sure that we crucify those desires, those flopping desires, every single day. Getting the victory over our fleshly desires is a constant daily struggle for every follower of Jesus Christ. Pastor Steve will continue our examination of Galatians chapter 5 in our next verse-by-verse. 
If you would like to listen to this study again, point your web browser to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Message Archive tab. You can listen to any of the other classes available to you on many different topics and passages of Scripture, all free of charge. Please take advantage of these resources. You can order a CD of the entire three-part program series on Conflicts Between the Flesh and the Spirit, Part 3, by calling verse-by-verse at 727-239-0306. On our website, versebyverseradio.org, you can sign up for our free podcasting service. This will enable you to receive each class on your computer every day so you won't miss any of the sessions. That number to order a CD of the present three-part message is 727-239-0306. You can also order a complete set of all eight messages from Galatians chapter 5 when you call. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are supported by interested friends like you who have first been faithful to their own local church. You may give to the ministry by calling us at 727-239-0306. You may give online at versebyverseradio.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Your prayers and financial support are vitally important to this ministry. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.